Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this episode, we have Josh Teigen back on the show. Josh is from Iron River, Wisconsin. He's a guide year-round. Uh, we've had him on before, but it's been a little while, so it's fun to get a little status update on what's going on. Uh, obviously, it's an ice fishing conversation, and, and this, this conversation with Josh revolves around the opportunities that are out there this year. I think we all agree that the conditions this year are a little bit different or a lot a bit different for many of us. We have less snow on the ice. There's, there's The ice isn't as thick everywhere as it would normally be this time of year. And, and, and there's a lot of discussion around you know some of these bigger, more capital uh, ice fishing destinations that don't have drivable ice for, you know, or just unsafe ice. But I think you know, uh, to not really focus on that, this conversation is more optimistic, and Josh really um, helps me highlight a lot of the opportunities that are being overlooked this year uh, because of the conditions. Like the conditions this year are providing so many opportunities on smaller bodies of water that are normally hard to get to, or just too difficult to get to this time of year. Or normally we're in the doldrums of winter, where with thick ice and and snow where we're losing oxygen levels in some smaller bodies of water. And, uh, you know, it's slowing down like like uh, many years, most years, there's some fishing opportunities that aren't even really, aren't even on our radar. And this year, they are phenomenal. You know, these backwoods lakes or, you know, some of these smaller sloughs out in the Dakotas, like, like this conversation is transferable anywhere. In the, you know, talking with Josh, we're talking northern Wisconsin here. And the opportunities there, where we break down, how do you find some of these, uh, some of these opportunities, these lakes, these smaller, unassuming lakes um, that uh, you know, backwoods, you know, kind of hard to get to on a normal year. But this year we can get to them easy. We don't have the snow, and uh, the ice is great. And even if you don't have a lot of stuff, you don't need all this sophisticated equipment to fish these lakes. They're small. It's easy to break down water. And, uh, you know, walking on foot is great. In some cases, it's preferred. You're not, you know, you're not making as much noise on the ice. And, and most of these fish are um, pretty bitey and they're shallower uh, just because of these conditions. I mean, it's just everything about this year is different. And, uh, you know, in this conversation, it's just very, it's an optimistic conversation between Josh and I to highlight the opportunities that are out there this year that are phenomenal that uh, are normally, you know, not, not even something that we talk about or even look up, uh, at whatsoever, probably seven or eight years out of 10. Um, you know, so this year, yes, the weather is a little unprecedented. It's making it tougher in some scenarios or just kind of, you know, makes it so ice safety is, is a big part of the conversation. And, and that's true everywhere. Um, but definitely this is a fun conversation highlighting the opportunities that these weird conditions this year are providing for us. So, we're talking ice fishing in northern Wisconsin with Josh Teigen. Let's get to it. This JMO podcast is brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales in West Bend, Wisconsin. Cedar Lake Sales is southern Wisconsin's largest Crestliner dealership, so whatever you're looking for, whether it's something uh, family-oriented or a pontoon, Maybe you're looking for a traditional fishing boat or step it up to something that you can travel around and fish tournaments in. They are well known to have it all easy to check out in their huge indoor heated showrooms. Now with a great service department and the confidence of their customers, Cedar Lake Sales is celebrating 55 years of trusted business. Again, 
If you are shopping for a boat, your shopping is not done until you've talked to a salesman at Cedar Lake Sales. For more information on what they got, what they offer, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's www.cedarlakesales.com. But I haven't talked to you for a while. I haven't talked to anybody from your area of Wisconsin at all this winter. So I need like Give me like the big picture, full ice fishing update a little bit on what the opportunities are over there. You know, is everybody getting out? You know, where where can they get out? What's what's the uh, what's the big picture status update, Josh? Yeah, it's definitely been a odd you know winter so far. We had such warm weather in November, you know, into December, and you know a lot of our small inland lakes iced over in early December and we were starting to get out on those smaller lakes you know anything 200 acres or less and you know the bite was good and then we had this big warm-up and a bunch of rain in the end of december and so i had to cancel quite a few trips we got tons of rain a lot of the lakes even the small ones became unsafe you know it went from six seven inches of ice to anywhere from three to four and then you got all the rain through it so it made it kind of candlestick almost like you're talking late april and so we had to stay off of it but thankfully we did not get a bunch of snow and once it did start to get cold you know now it's now it's starting to get very cold so we're making a lot of ice but basically the the biggest bite we've been on lately has just been our inland lakes i mean we have so many lakes and around the iron river area you know down to hayward over to ash and over to superior in northwest wisconsin where there's just so many options each day we can get to a lot of these backwoods lakes that you know are anywhere from 50 acres out to 200 acres and now our bigger lakes are starting to freeze up so basically just a lot of uh you know panfish you know bluegill perch crappie and then some lakes we're fishing a lot of tip-ups for you know bass pike walleyes um but what's been great like i said is we don't have a lot of snow so a lot of these lakes that normally aren't accessible now because of so much snow you know, we can get back to, especially guys that want to walk to some of these lakes. You know, I, I'm fortunate enough, I got snowmobiles to get us back to a lot of these lakes, but a lot of guys don't have snowmobiles and they do a lot of walking and it's perfect conditions for it. There's plenty of ice, there's barely any snow in the woods. So you can, you can walk to spots you haven't been able to get to in the past, whether it's through the woods or on a big lake. I mean, it's easy travel and that's what's been great about this year with how warm it's been. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude, I love talking about that stuff. I love talking about, you know, as soon as you start saying things like backwoods lakes, lakes that are hard to get to, usually, you know, uh, you know, when we talk about the fishing or those types of fishing opportunities, it's unpressured fish, you know, just because it's, you know, sometimes getting to them is not for the faint of heart. But I, I like that, like, you know, as soon as you started talking about that, my mouth's kind of watering in that regard because it, it, those are such cool opportunities to highlight cool opportunities to talk about. I kind of want to dig into that a little bit, maybe kind of paint that picture a little bit better and more detailed of like, you know, um, that, uh, if you can get back into those lakes, it's, uh, usually this time of year, they're unfishable or just, you know, just unaccessible without like super machines. And usually, even if you had the equipment to get back there, if everything's froze over, you probably would choose other places to fish. That makes this a really cool. The small lakes are protected. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like you probably don't need a ton of sophisticated gear, you know, to get back and break down some of those bites. Maybe kind of paint that picture for me as far as those opportunities. I mean, you get back into these small lakes, you got a bunch of them in that 
uh, part of the uh, uh, the world, which is really cool. And it's a multi-species thing. You're already mentioning that. Maybe kind of build that up a little bit. Let's maybe dig into some, you know, just how fun and, and how cool some of those opportunities are on a year like this where they're still accessible. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much fun. And like you said, you know, they don't get a lot of pressure. So when you do get back to these lakes, like you said, you don't have to have a bunch of fancy gear. I mean, some of these lakes are anywhere from 30 to 60 acres. So it's not so much of finding the fish. I mean, it's a small enough lake. You can cover water and um, find them pretty easily. Even if you don't have electronics or you don't have a bunch of fancy stuff, you can just go out and catch fish because they're, they're not pressured and they're, they're pretty easy to find. Um, but the great thing is this time of year, you know, usually we have like a two week period to fish these small lakes and early ice because the ice gets so thick and then the fish start losing oxygen and then they don't bite. So generally, you know, you got two weeks to catch them. It's really good early ice and then it's done. Well now, I mean, we, it's been a warm winter. We don't have a lot of ice. There's not much snow. So there's still only, you know, five, six inches of ice on these lakes. So I'd see for at least the next month we can go out and still get out after these lakes. But the best approach to it is just to go out. What I do is just bring a couple jig rods, you know, pack light, bring a couple jig rods, you know, maybe bring one for, for panfish and one if you want to jig for bass, pike. Even there's even some trout lakes too that are small so you can target them. And then I always bring a couple tip-ups to kind of leave near shore for your pike, your bass, you know, walleye, or if you are targeting trout. Uh, but basically just keep it simple. You know, you don't have to go out there with live imaging and, and find them just because the lakes are so small. They're going to be right on those break lines. Generally, most of these lakes are just a bowl. And what I've found is these fish basically just swim in circles around the lake. It's not much, uh, you know, they're not in one area the whole time. It seems like they're always moving just because the lakes are small and they're just chasing bait fish. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just set up on a break. You know, I'll start in anywhere from six to seven feet out to about 20 set a couple tip-ups right on that edge and then drill holes down that line and basically just figure out what depth they're at and then set up on them. And sometimes you got to wait a little bit for them to swing back around. But like I said, they'll just kind of go in a circle around the lake. And when they come through, you can do really good, especially, you know, I mean, a lot of these lakes have nice crappies, bluegills, and they just don't see a lot of pressure. And last year we had so much snow and so much ice that these fish did not get hit at all last year. So it's this year's just more special because we they didn't get pressured last year. And now this year, it's so easy to get back there. So you're, the fish are bigger than they normally are. There's more of them because guys weren't keeping them last year. And it's, uh, it's the perfect year to do it because most years we got so much snow. So that's what I've been doing, you know, the past couple of weeks. And it's been an absolute blast. It, it, I feel like this kind of conversation could be happening uh, in a lot of places where these smaller you know, these smaller, more unassuming, maybe, you know, more unpressured opportunities are totally the deal. Um, you know, I just, uh, you know, for that opportunity, I mean, they're, they're, you're always going to be probably able to get out on the, you know, the community lake that plows roads on an annual basis. This is one of those years where, you know, maybe you just got to kind of focus on this backwoods type of lake. I mean, I, I feel like that'd be me. Like, that's my personality kind of coming out. But anyways, you know, talking about those opportunities, man, like if you're looking for those opportunities and it's not your typical, it's not what you typically do as an angler. Tell me a little bit about finding these opportunities. I mean, you know, like going on the Game and Fish website, do these, are these stocked lakes, you know, where maybe there's some stocking information somebody could look at? Does it, 
it, it, you know, the, finding these locations and just seeing how plentiful these opportunities are, man. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, the best thing you can do is go on the Wisconsin DNR website. They list every single lake in Wisconsin. They'll tell you what's in them, if there is stocking data. Most of the lakes, they don't stock just because they're so far back, but they really don't need to just because, you know, they're way back. They don't get fished much. Um, but there's so much information online. And basically what I do if I'm trying to fish a new lake I haven't been to before, I just go on the Wisconsin DNR website, see what species are in there. Um, and then, too, just, you know, type in on Google or Facebook, type in that lake name and see if anybody, you know, now with social media and, and everything online, I mean, a lot of people post reports, you know, if they've been there. So even if it's from 10, 12 years ago, I mean, just to get more of an advantage knowing what you're getting into going in there. Um, if someone has been there before and, you know, let's say they post a picture of a big crappie, well, then, you know, there's probably big crappies in there. So that's the best thing you can do. But one thing I do is I actually go into a lot of these lakes in the summer. I bought a kayak last year and I started fishing a lot of these small lakes with a kayak, you know, dragging them back in there. And it's a great way to learn a lake just to see what's in there, what the size range is. Because, I mean, in the in the spring and summer on these lakes, I mean, the fish are up shallow, they're easy to catch, and you can kind of get an idea of what's in there. You learn the lake a little better. Um, I'll bring my uh, little hummingbird in there. I'll put it on my uh, kayak, and I'll, a lot of these lakes will actually map out so you know if there are any little humps or inside edges or where the weeds are. And that's a great tool to then go back to those lakes in the winter, you know right where to go. But, uh, but yeah, if you've never been there before and you want to do it this year, that's the best way to do it is just to go onto the DNR website and, and see what's out there. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, again, I just, my mouth just waters when I have these conversations about some of these like small water, unassuming opportunities. I just feel like, you know, this is kind of just me, my own experience. And I think is relatable is, you know, there was a time in my life where I wasn't even thinking about that. This type of thing wasn't even on my radar. It was, I, I was blinded to it. All I could see were, you know, uh, you know, the, the community lakes close to town, you know, everybody knows the, the basin panfish bite, you know, whether it's crappies or bluegills or whatever. And, and, um, you know, on Saturday or Sunday, whenever you have time away from school or work, you know, you go out, the, the roads are plowed. You can take your vehicle out there. You set your hard-sided shack or, you know, your permanent or whatever it is. Like the most classic, you know, uh, 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 ice fishing, winter ice fishing experience for just about anybody. But I, I just wasn't thinking about these these more uh, unassuming opportunities. And and what I think for me, what what's the most fascinating for me about these opportunities in comparison you know, to that, that community lake or that popular lake that everybody knows about is the fact that these fish are unpressured and just what that means. People might think that they have to go to Canada to find big, dumb fish. They might think yep. that they have to go west to where there's no people, you know, uh, the, the, you know, per capita, um, you know, populations. Like they need to go where there's no people to find big, dumb fish. When you don't realize you can be in in these parts of Wisconsin and Minnesota and Iowa and Michigan and North Dakota, South Dakota, you can be in these areas and, and, and not even realize that there are big dumb fish that are just back in the woods a little bit further. There's a reason there's a reason that not everybody's doing it, right? Like you, you were identifying that, that it's it, it, in a lot of years, it's really difficult to get back in there. This year, it's not, though. This year is when it's like, this is your opportunity for many of us to be 
less than a hundred miles from home and fish some big dumb fish, you know, just some, just some un, unpressured or, uh, you know, just more unassuming water. I just, I just, I really want to hammer that home because I feel like that's a big one. I feel like that's a big one. If, if there's one person listening to this, that's like, you know what, I'm going to try to be inspired by this. I'm going to try and be inspired by Josh and Taylor. And I'm going to, I'm going to go find one of these small backwoods lakes near me that I don't even know about, or don't even know what's in there. When you go in there, you know, um, you don't have to be the most nuanced individual. You don't need the sophisticated gear. Everything that you're saying, I just love it. Um, and highlighting that opportunity, I just feel like is just the best message that I could, you know, really try to highlight in this conversation. Because if somebody only has maybe a flasher and the two, you know, rods set up like you're saying, you're, you're dragging a small sled, you know, you've got a, a lithium, light lithium auger so you can move and groove, but you're on foot. Give me give me some tips and tricks on how to cover water. How many holes do you drill? How fast do you move? Do you, you know, you, you know, incorporating maybe the stealth factor not to spook fish, you know, through the through the ice. Like, like give me a little bit of fishing juice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what's nice about these small lakes is you can, you can fish them pretty quick. And a lot of times, you know, we'll fish three to four different lakes in a day. I mean, if, even if you've never been to these lakes, I mean, you know, fish it for an hour or two, if nothing's going, you know, move on to the next lake. But yeah, the best thing you can do, like you said, you know, you got your flasher, a couple rods, have one rod set up with a spoon, something you can fish quick. You know, if we're talking crappies, bluegills, something that gets down there fast. Uh, the pinhead pro from clam has been one of my best baits here the last couple of years. You can get it down there quick the panfish just love it. You know, that's always what I start with. If they're aggressive, they're going to hit that. And then I'll have a small, uh, Acme tungsten jig on another one. The hammered tungsten from Acme has been a really good one for me when they're picky and you want to get that bait down quick. And then I just tip that with a wax burn, but that's usually what I'll start with on these lakes. And I'll generally punch, you know, anywhere from 20 to 25 holes to start off. A lot of these small lakes, these fish are very spooky just because they're not used to seeing much pressure. They're, you know, the augers will spook them. So what I'll do is I will start out anywhere from, you know, five to eight feet and I'll drill a bunch of holes out to the basin of the lake and then kind of let them settle down. It'll usually take about 10, 15 minutes for everything kind of to settle back down and those fish will actually come back into where you drilled holes. So be a little patient waiting on them to come back in. But yeah, basically just fish a hole, you know, two, three minutes. If nothing's there, move to the next and just kind of cover all your depths. And uh, eventually you're going to find a pattern where they're going to be um, set up. Now, if most of these lakes are clear up here, so what you're going to want to look for is you're going to want to look for a weed edge or, you know, a weed flat in anywhere from eight to 15 feet of water. If you find that, that's where your crappies and your bluegills are going to be. They're going to be in those weeds. And, you know, just jig a foot or two above them. And if it's uh, stained water, then you're going to want to look in your basins, you know, anywhere from that 20 to 25 feet of water. I know barotrauma has been a hot topic lately, so I don't like to fish them any deeper than 25 feet. But there's most of these lakes max out at, you know, 20 to 25. Heck, there's a few of them that I fish that max out at like 15 feet. So look for those basins, especially if it's stained. And uh, keep an eye out for suspended fish. But most of the time, those fish are going to be about two to three feet off the bottom suspended. And, uh, yeah, I mean, once you find where they're located, then start popping a bunch of holes and just kind of hop around and uh, and start catching them. You're talking about weed flats. You know, that's another one. I feel like I could probably dedicate like three or four podcasts to just fishing panfish in the weeds, especially weed flats. Um, you know, for you when you are fantasizing about a good a good bite on a weed flat 
describe that to me. How does that look on a map? What does that look like on a map? Like, you know, when you're looking at a lake and you say, okay, this is a weed flat, um, maybe kind of describe the basics of that. And then I kind of want to get into like how you attack it. Are you, are you assuming that you're going to drill holes on the edge of those weeds? Are you going to get right up in those weeds? Like, you know, identifying maybe like maybe, you know, some weed types, you know, some differences there, some transitions. I want to really dig into that a little bit because I feel like that's definitely catching panfish on weed flats is probably a thing on every single lake in the Midwest that has panfish. There's going to be a weed flat that could be productive. I'd like to really dig into that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's my favorite way to catch panfish. I mean, most of the lakes, I'd say 90% of the lakes around me are clear water. So that's where we're focusing almost all of our time in the weeds and the sand grass. So basically, I, I look for two different things. I'll look for sand grass flats out in deeper water. Now that's going to be anywhere from like 18 to 24 feet. Um, basically, you just look on a map and you, you see any flat where there's no depth change. It's just all the same, but it covers a big area. So it can hold a lot of fish. And that sand grass will only come up about a foot or two off the bottom. But those fish can hide in there. That's what holds the small perch and the shiners, and that's what they're feeding on. So you basically just look for that and drill a lot of holes over it. And just that, you got to do a lot of hole hopping. It doesn't seem like they're all schooled up in one small area. Um, you know, you get a couple here, you get a couple there, and you just do a lot of moving. But another bite is when we're talking cabbage, and actually milfoil too. We're starting to get a lot of Eurasian water milfoil out here and the, the crappies and bluegills just absolutely love it. So anywhere you can find where there's a mix of milfoil and cabbage, they're gonna be right on the edge where the milfoil meets the cabbage. And those crappies especially will sit right in that milfoil. And some, I've even caught them like, some of this milfoil will go right up to the top of the ice, even in 10 to 12 feet. And you can sight fish these crappies. I mean, they won't, they won't be on the bottom in that milfoil. They'll be right up near the surface. And man, that's fun when a big, you know, 13, 14 inch crappie comes out of that milfoil, just comes out of nowhere and, and bites. But, you know, that's one thing. If, you're, if your lake doesn't have a lot of milfoil, then you're going to want to look on the cabbage. A lot of times they'll be on the edges, especially early in the morning or near dark. They'll move to those edges and right where that tall cabbage goes to, to mud, you know, you just you, you find those perfect holes right on that edge and how you can that's how you can do really good. But if you're fishing them in the day, they will actually be in the cabbage. And I've found the best way to do it is to find little pockets in the cabbage. And that's where they're gonna hold. So what I do is I drill a lot of holes, I'll take my electronics and I'll try to find a little area where there's just a patch open that's surrounded by cabbage. And that's generally where they're gonna school up, especially midday. Um, but same thing, it's a lot of hole hopping, a lot of moving around. And the, the greatest part about fishing, these fishing weeds, is they're not very easy to find with forward-facing sonar. So these fish don't see a lot of pressure. Everyone's out in the basins, you know, looking for them on, on you know, Mega Live or Live Scope, and they're trying to find them. Well, in these weeds, a lot of times you can't see them with that stuff. So these fish grow bigger. They're not as pressured, and it's just so much fun because they're so aggressive. I mean, these a lot of these crappies, they'll, they'll shoot up four or five feet to hit a lure and they will absolutely slam it just because they don't get a lot of pressure and they're used to laying low in the weeds and they're you know used to chasing small gills and perch that are up a little higher and it's such a fun bite i mean i could do that every day of of the winter and be happy it's just a lot of fun this jmo podcast is brought to you by cedar lake sales in west bend wisconsin 
Cedar Lake Sales is Southern Wisconsin's largest Crestliner dealership, so whatever you're looking for, whether it's something uh, family-oriented or a pontoon, maybe you're looking for a traditional fishing boat or step it up to something that you can travel around and fish tournaments in, they are well-known to have it all easy to check out in their huge indoor-heated showrooms. Now, with a great service department and the confidence of their customers, Cedar Lake Sales is celebrating 55 years of trusted business. Again, if you are shopping for a boat, your shopping is not done until you've talked to a salesman at Cedar Lake Sales. For more information on what they got, what they offer, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's www.cedarlakesales.com. Yeah, I concur with that too, 100%. I just I just feel like those weed bites, um, they're so much more interesting in my mind, even just to talk about and hear about and learn about and experience, you know, the, kind of all of the above, just for what you said. Is there a little bit more undetected, especially from an electronic standpoint, you know, with forward sonar or, yeah, just, uh, you know, just all of that. It, it really just kind of... You know, there's no substitute. You just got to get out there and do it and drill the holes. There's no shortcuts. Uh, so when it does happen, it's good. You, you mentioned a couple of things that I think have a lot to do with time management. You know, talking about, um, you know, being on the weed edge, uh, you know, for, for those bite windows, like the, the classic, you know, early morning, uh, evening, you know, low light period when fish get active and, they, and they're eating in the daytime bite where you're kind of up in the weeds looking for those pockets. Talk to me a little bit about that. What are some of the philosophies that you have in terms of, um, you know, whether, you know, bite windows or sort of that, you know, how you manage your day, like, you know, how you attack that early morning bite and, and, you know, what the conditions are, what's different conditions do to your decision making as far as if it's overcast, if the sun is out, you know, if it's windy, you know, talking about this year, the big deal is that there's not, there's good light penetration, there's not a lot of snow and the ice isn't overly thick. So talk to me a little bit about that, some of the conditions that you experience that sort of affect different decision making, setting your expectations as far as where you'd want to be during the right times of the day. Talk, talk me through that a little bit. Yeah. Like you said, it all depends on the conditions. Um, you know, ideally in these weeds and clear water, I mean, you want overcast conditions. If you get heavy overcast or you got snow falling, you're going to have a bite pretty much all day. I mean, morning, midday, evening, uh, when it's like that, you know what I'd say? Perfect conditions. That's when I really do a lot of hole hopping. I drill a lot of holes and I am constantly moving. I mean, I'll drill a hundred holes in a day you know, you fish a hole a minute. If you don't see fish, you, you keep moving. Um, but then you get the days where the sun's out or there's not much ice and they're a little spooky. Um, that you're going to have a little better bite early in the morning and later in the evening, but midday, you're going to want to slow it down big time. You're going to want to fish, fish those holes a lot longer, maybe five to 10 minutes, and then maybe move on to the next. They're not going to be as active. They're not moving. Um, they're a little pickier. Sometimes they'll even go to live bait, you know, where I'll put a, a crappie minnow down and some I'll run some tip downs just because they're gonna be gonna be a little pickier with that sun out. They they don't like that, you know, midday. Even in the weeds, you know, if they get a little shade from that, but they're still still pretty finicky. They can see your line a lot better. That's when you're really gonna want to downsize, you know, use light lines. Some days I'll even go down to two pound test, and that's when I'll use a really small, you know, tungsten jig with a waxy. But the days when it's overcast. You know, those are the days you can get away with a bigger spoon, do a lot of hole hopping and be aggressive. And the big thing is just, 
you know, keep moving. If you're, if you're fishing an area for 45 minutes to an hour and nothing's happening, just keep moving down that weed line. A lot of these flats and weeds will go on for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of yards. So the big thing is just keep moving. If you can find anywhere where there's an inside turn with the weeds or there's a weed point that sticks out, those are areas that'll definitely concentrate the fish more. And as far as finding the weed line, what I'll do, especially if I'm on an area where I don't have, you know, real in-depth mapping or I haven't been out there a lot where I know exactly where that edge is, is just drill a hole shallow until and drill a hole, a line of holes out until you, you there's no weeds. So I'll drill, you know, I'll start like 12 feet and drill out to 18. And as soon as I take my electronics and I see that those weeds are gone and it's just a bare bottom, then you want to go back a little bit find where the weeds are and put a hole right in between those. Cause that's the, those edges are what's uh, what are going to be good, especially low light conditions. And basically it's just a lot of moving and trial and error and, and trying to find the school. But yeah, when there's not a lot of ice, you know, they are a little spookier. So you might have to uh, be a little more patient than you normally would when there's a lot of ice. Yeah. Yeah. You said another thing there, you know, kind of incorporating remote lines potentially at times, like for you, if you're, if you get in a situation, maybe talk me through some of that, like what some of your, you know, philosophy you know i know i know you're a guide so you know having clients is one thing but like if you're fishing on your own or with your buddies and you're trying to discover you know some fish or you're trying to break down water um maybe in preparation for your clients you know i mean i I guess i'm just trying to put you in that mindset where you're breaking breaking down water you know um uh, uh, aggressively like do you try to use maybe like a you know, uh, uh, the tip downs or, you know, the, the remote lines, um, the dead stick, uh, approach to help you find fish like, are you moving and grooving with those lines as well? Or is that something that maybe, um, you know, you don't bring it out until you've located some fish and it's, and it just sort of, you know, gives you, um, you know, another line in the water, maybe kind of tell me a little bit what your philosophies are and how you like to utilize, uh, you know, like the remote dead sticks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's definitely a time and a place for it. Generally, when I'm out by myself or I'm with some buddies, you know, I, I'm not very patient. So I really like to hole hop and I like to catch them jigging and concentrate on that. So when I'm out by myself or with buddies, I, I normally am just jigging. I don't bring the tip downs with. Now, when I have clients with and, you know, we got to get on a good bite and I know those fish are there, but let's say it's just a tough day. Um, that's when I'll really use the the tip downs just to help us catch more fish. You spread them out. It's a great tool to, you know, kind of key in on where they're biting, what they're biting. Um, and I'll spread them out. I mean, there's times I'll have them, heck, you know, 50, 75 yards away. And if one particular one keeps getting bit, you know, then we'll move the group over there and uh, drill around there and find them. I mean, it's a great tool to help find them, especially on these big flats. Like I talked earlier about sand grass. I mean, that's an area where, these sand grass flats can go on forever and it's not so much, you're not going to catch all the fish in a tiny little area. I mean, they're spread out, they're always moving. So tip downs really help us on those sand grass flats just to cover water and help, you know, my customers catch a lot more fish, but there are times too, when they're biting really good. I do think those dead sticks are, they can be a waste of time. They will catch fish those days, but you're spending so much time running to them you know, baiting them, hooking them, and then you're leaving your jig rods. So I kind of base it on the day. If it's a day the fish are very aggressive and we're doing pretty good, I, I won't even monkey with them because you can catch so many more fish a lot more effectively. 
just by jigging, you know, you catch them, you unhook them, you drop back down, you catch another one where if you're running the tip downs nonstop, you're, you're still catching fish, but you're not catching as many as you should be. And I kind of save those tip downs for days when it's a very tough bite. I always have them with me, but I'm only using them when I know that bite's going to be a little slower or maybe midday when the bite slows down and that will help us catch some more fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's great. I think that's a great, you know, kind of a great story told because everybody's a little different. You know, I think a lot of guides, um, you know, like yourself, like I think a lot of guides probably have a similar perspective because you're really, it's just, you know, boils down to an efficiency or a catch rate. Like you can really see that really clear. But I think, you know, uh, I think those are good good tidbits, you know, for, for the, us average ang, uh, amateurs that are just out trying to do it on our own. We're trying to figure out what those efficiencies are. We don't put this, you know, the, the hours and the days on the ice that somebody like you does. And so learning about those efficiencies, uh, you know, uh, uh, from somebody like you and your experience, I think is huge, um, a huge takeaway. It's like, just because you got a couple of tip downs for Christmas doesn't mean that you got to put them out every time, everywhere you go, you know, uh, just being able to kind of see the bigger picture and what, you know, uh, how it's going to help you versus how it might slow you down. Um, great perspective there, man. Great perspective there. Well, let's, you know, we still got plenty of time here, but I, I, I want to give a little bit of love. How do we transition into a Schwamigan Bay? I know you're, you're a big Schwamigan Bay guy. You know, we've talked about it uh, on here in the past. Like, give me a little bit of uh, an update out there on the bay as far as the ice and stuff. It had to be sketchy ice this year. Like, what's the status update out there? And uh, what are, you know, what are some forecastings, um, you know, for the fishing moving forward this winter out there? Yeah, Schwamigan Bay is one of my favorite areas to fish. Like we've talked about in the past. You know, I fish a lot out there, open water, but the ice season out there is one of my favorites. I mean, it's one of the few areas, you know, in the country where you can go out and target a mixed bag of brown trout, splake, whitefish. You could catch pike, bass, walleye, eel pout. There's just so many species out there. And that's just starting to freeze up now, which is really late. I mean, normally we're out there in early December and, you know, we're getting into the islands by now. Well, this year it's been warm and uh, we just had a big cold snap here. So it's just starting to lock up right now. We got anywhere from three to four inches of ice out there and, and it should get better and better as, as it gets into, you know, end of January into February. Um, but yeah, we're starting to walk out there now. It's always the, the cool part about Schwamigan Bay is these fish are always moving these trout. There's a lot of current out there. These fish are always moving. So even if you've never been out there before, I mean, you can go out, set up in 10 to 30 feet of water, you know, put a couple tip-ups out, go jig, and these fish will basically come to you. You know, you really don't have to be on a magical spot, you know, like a rock pile or, or weeds or an inside turn. These fish are constantly moving up and down the shorelines. So for someone who's never been out there before, um, you can go out and actually catch some nice fish. You know, I mean, there's nothing more fun than catching a big trout on a jig rod. And, uh, you know, Schwamigan Bay and the islands – allows for you to do that you a lot of times don't have to go out far i mean some of the best fishing we have is in t- a lot of times five to ten feet of water you know not out far from these landings um so it's a it's a great bite we're finally getting ice the big thing is safety out there you know always bring a spud bar check as you go uh, be careful on the pressure ridges so if you haven't been out there before you know maybe either hire a guide or have someone who's been out there before take you out there just to kind of learn the area and if you're, if there's nobody else out there, you probably shouldn't go out, you know, make sure you let guys get out in front of you if you've never been there before, but it is a fun bite. Um, 
and like I said, it's a it's an area and a bite where you just there's not a lot of places you can go and do it. I mean, you, you see guys fishing down in Milwaukee and the harbors and stuff like that, and, and that's a lot of fun. But you know, down there, nobody really catches them jigging. It's all set lines with spawn bags, and you know your jaw jackers or your your uh, basically set lines tip ups. Where here we do catch fish doing that too, but most of the fish we catch are jigging. So you get to see them come up on your graph and hit it. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. What is it that makes that place special? I mean, like, like why are they biting a jig? Are they, uh, is it be the forage base? Like, are they just, is that, you know, just how they feed year round? Like, like, you know, you, comparison, like you say, like the, the Harbor fish or the Marina fish, um, in other places around the great lakes, uh, through the ice, like, are they just, they're just eating the spawn bags. Like, are they just too full to, to chase something down? Like, 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 like what is it that makes Stromigan Bay so special in that regard? I think it's special here for that reason, as far as, you know, you can catch them jigging and they're more aggressive as most of these fish are wild. I mean, they do stock a lot of browns and a lot of sprake, a splake here, um, but they're just wild fish. You know, they're not just stuck in the harbors, you know, where they're going in circles and, you know, they get picked on a lot in the, in the fall and they see a lot of baits and, you know, there's, I'm guessing a lot of these harbors, I've only done it a couple of times down there, you know, down in the Southern part of the state or other areas of the great lakes where, you know, they're, they're going through the motions of spawning and I'm guessing, you know, a lot of those fish eat that. So that's what they're keyed in on. But out here they're chasing smelt, they're chasing shiners. There, there's a lot of current, they're constantly moving and, you know, they're, even the, even our white fish. I mean, you see down in Green Bay, guys, you got to fish the bottom and you got to fish really slow and light. And where our white fish up here, I mean, they'll chase a bait 50 feet up to the hole and grab it right under the ice. I mean, just everything on Superior just seems to be more aggressive. And it's just so much fun. And um, and I think that has to do with it. I mean, we do have a few fish in our harbors here where, you know, it can be more of a spawn bag bite. But they're not big harbors and it doesn't, uh, it's not the same. But most of the fish, even when they stock them. A lot of them stock these fish out like in the islands or on the shorelines versus the harbors. So those fish are on those areas and they're just, they're going after live bait. Like I said, smelt and shiners and they're just more aggressive. Yeah. I think that's a great point to make. I, I'm glad you, you know, you kind of speak on that because it is different. It, it It's fun. You know, going fishing with you is a good time and be ready to uh, put in the work. Because, you know, it's fun to your whole hopping, you're jigging, you're just, you're on point focused all day long um, because it happens and it happens fast, especially when you're talking trout. Okay, what, what else do we got to touch on this year? We're, we're giving a little bit of love to Schwamigan Bay. You know, we, we did a great breakdown on those really fun, the, the smaller, unassuming, more backcountry lakes that you have in northern Wisconsin that are really accessible this year specifically and uh, ought to be on people's radars uh, because, you know, th- that's not always available to us. Um, so I think we did a good job highlighting that. Um, what else do we got to talk about? What are some fun things or just cool topics, uh, anything we could promote? Like, like what else do we got to talk about here? Yeah, there's actually another bite going on up here that I do every year. It's a, it's usually an early ice deal, you know, in December. But this year, you know, with the like we've talked about the whole podcast is it's been warm, so everything's kind of delaying into into now, you know, into January. Is the St. Louis River walleye bite? Um, it's it's in our area. It's it's there's so many walleyes, you know, in Lake Superior and the St. Louis River, you know, estuary, where these fish. I mean, there's just, there's walleyes everywhere. Now what they do is they spend most of their um, summer, fall out in Lake Superior. 
but most of these fish spawn in the St. Louis River. So you start seeing these fish come out of the lake. Now, normally this happens in in uh, late October, you know, into mid late November, and these fish push back into the river, and you have a month of terrific walleye fishing. And well, this year it's just starting to happen now. You know, the St. Louis River just iced up about a couple weeks ago, and we've been doing very very well catching walleyes um, on the river and in the harbor. And you you fish these fish. You got the river channel that goes down the down the middle, and you basically fish these big mud flats in anywhere from five to eight feet of water on the edges, and you, you catch a ton of walleyes. Um, we have a great year class right now of fish in the 16 to 19 inch range, and it's pretty much all jigging. So it's it's just a blast. You know, you can take a couple of fish home to eat. You get to catch a bunch of fish. You don't have to walk out far. There's a lot of accesses, and that's another great bite that's going on right now that actually doesn't get talked about very much. Yeah, dude, that's cool. Obviously, like you say, this this the the conditions this year are affecting that as well. But um, you know, from an angling perspective, an opportunity perspective, it's great. It's you know, any of these opportunities where you where you don't have to walk out far means that you don't have to have all the big awesome gear you don't have to have a big you know powerful snowmobile or a side-by-side or something like that uh you know you know talking about any of these opportunities that um you know this year being a little unique is allowing fish to be shallow more accessible they're not far it's not a far hike you can you know drag a sled a lot of that stuff i I love highlighting that sort of stuff for sure you know i I don't really have any more questions i know uh, well i have a lot of questions for you but it would just require you know another six hours of your your day (laughs) um so uh we'll leave that for another time dude or next time but um yeah dude any anything else pops in your head throw it out there otherwise promote yourself any content that you want to you know, promote to people any anything anybody could check out, or if they have questions or want to get a hold of you for a guide trip or whatever, man, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if you want to watch kind of what I'm doing, and if you want to follow me, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Just look up Josh Teigen, T E I G E N. You can kind of follow on on what I'm doing. I do post some pictures and videos now and then. And then, if you do want to book a trip or you have any questions about this area, feel free to go to my website, which is just joshtigan.com, or you can give me a call. My number is 715-813-0575. There it is, man. There it is. I appreciate the time, Josh. I really, really do. And uh, these types of conversations, I think, are just really, really helpful to the industry, highlighting the opportunities, uh, definitely some opportunities that I think there's just big groups of people that aren't thinking about some of these opportunities that ought to be. Well, I love it, man. Great conversations, dude. And I'll let you back to it for real this time, Josh, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, dude. We'll talk to you.